This is Sarah Stewart-Holland. And this is Beth Silvers. Thank you for joining us for Pantsuit Politics. Welcome to Pantsuit Politics, where we take a different approach to the news. Beth is currently out enjoying her summer break. So I am joined today by an exceptionally special guest, the one and only Mr. Nicholas Maxwell Holland. Hello, everybody. Esquire. Es- oh, excuse me. Mr. Nicholas Maxwell Holland, Esquire. I'm so glad you're here, babe. I'm thrilled to be here. As always, I love it when I get to be on the podcast. It's always so fun. As good as you love talking to me. So I love talking to you. I love talking to these wonderful people. Love it. Today, you guys, we're going to talk about some headlines. We're, of course, going to talk about Live Golf and its merger with PGA. A couple other headlines. And in the main segment of the show, we are going to talk about, drum roll, please, marriage. Indeed. We have been married for almost um, 20 years. 20 years on July 5th, y'all. 2023. 20 years. I've been with Nicholas Maxwell Hall and Esquire since I was 19 years old. I wasn't Esquire then, though. True. And then outside of politics... We're going to talk about every day, Carrie. Did you hear my sigh? Why? Why are you sighing? I just... You agreed to this topic. I did agree to the topic. It's going to be fun. We do have an exciting announcement Nicholas is going to share about the Pantsy Politics Paducah Weekend related to Everyday Carrie. Get excited about that. Okay, Nicholas, this is where the co-host does the call to action. What do you want to ask our audience? I would love your audience to do literally anything that is positive for Pantsy Politics. That can include... The free stuff you guys can rate and review on iTunes. That helps the podcast. You can recommend the podcast to your friends, mm-hmm. to your family. That's a fantastic podcast still to this day. Most of their growth is through word of mouth. True. We hear all the time about how people found out about it from so-and-so or mm-hmm. so-and-so. My aunt. I told my aunt. Whatever it was. That was That's great. You can also join Patreon at any level. Helps to feed my kid. Keep my kid in <laughs> shoes. <laughs> All the things that's helpful as well. Feed um, Nicholas's kids. <laughs> Join Patreon. your kids too. <laughs> Feed Sarah's kids. <laughs> it's actually that's actually true. So yes, anything you can do, super helpful and supportive of the podcast. We love it. I hate to be not specific, but it really could anything, little anything. If you've ever been thinking maybe I should do that, go ahead and do it. That's right. All right. Next up, we're going to talk about first up, live PGA merger. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. 
The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Nicholas, the PGA has merged with the Saudi Arabian-backed rival Live Golf, which just mere moments ago they were in knockdown, dragout legal litigation over. But everybody's made nice because money, money, totally money. Money, please. Totally money. There's some real Mona Lisa Saperstein energy here, for sure. Yeah, and I disagree with you that everybody's happy because not everybody is happy. Um, I think— Money doesn't make you happy. I wish the people of Saudi Arabia understood that. Well, yeah. I don't know about that. But I think that it was interesting, first of all— Well, let me say the leaders of Saudi Arabia. Sure. The first I heard of this was from you, which is strange about sports because you usually hear from me about the sports— and it was a bit shocking, and it remains a bit shocking to, I think, a lot of people. And just to give you, like, the basic outlines, because that's really all we have, right? is that the PGA Tour— You mean that something involving Saudi Arabia is not filled with transparency? It's and- not so much transparency as, it's like, it's not even really clear kind of how it's going to work. We have a rough idea that there is going to be a board of a for-profit entity— that is and I think I read the head of Live is going to be the head of the board, and the head of PGA is going to be the CEO. Right. And I think there's going to be mostly, it's going to be controlled by PGA Tour named directors, as I understand it. But the actual PGA Tour events are still going to be put on by the existing, which, what I believe is a nonprofit, which is, again, is a bit shocking in ways. This was basically news to almost everyone except for this major players, um, the principals um, of Saudi Arabia. Is it PIF? Is that what it's called? Mm-hmm, the Public uh, Investment Fund. And... And basically, this the chief of the PGA Tour, which is Jay Monahan. Most of the players had no idea. Greg Norman, who has been the so chief cheerleader of Live. of Live Golf, says he had no idea. And even now, we really what we've been told is a very rough outline. And and I actually had a conversation today with several people, people who are much more involved and interested in golf than and I am. It's not one of my least favorite sports to watch and follow, honestly, but. And it was just, it's just kind of like a sense of no one really knows where it's going. It's good. There's a decent chance that it may actually not happen (laughs) because of regulatory reasons, antitrust reasons, the PGA Tour players revolting, any number of things. I think we need to remember, and it's been reported that a lot of PGA Tour players were recruited by Live Golf for 
big, big buckets of money, giant sums of money, some in the nine figures. And some took them and some didn't out of loyalty to the PGA Tour. Right. And now they look like dummos. Right. People like Rory McIlroy. I don't know if they look like dummos. I don't want to say that. I don't think it means you're dumb because you turned down buckets of money and you like, I don't think that's dumb. I think they stood on their principles and I respect that. You know how during the end of succession, I said, the problem with succession is it makes it sound like when rich people behave badly and unethically and stupidly that they, like, reap consequences for that. And often that is not the case. They just throw money around, act poorly, and it never really catches up with them. This is a perfect illustration of that. I think that's right. But I think there's a lot of mad people who thought I was I was encouraged to be loyal. I was loyal. And now, yeah, but they need to instead of me getting a they need to channel that Kendall Roy energy. You're already rich. You're fine. Not all of them are. Uh, that's not a fair. That's not a fair assessment. I think that's based on a misapprehension of what a lot of these guys, some of these guys make. You give me a stare, but like there are some people who were not guaranteed to make twenty million dollars in the PGA. Okay, but the what are they making? I can't say for sure, but they're making it based on what they're winning and what, yeah, but and they're also. They're I bet it's still a lot like of that. money. Many of them are. I will say it's that, not generational wealth, but it's sure. still a lot of but money. Some of them turn down generational wealth, right? But that's okay because you know what that'll do? Ruin your life. Well, Go watch Succession. You didn't make a bad call. It's fine. And I just feel like not only is this a statement on wealth, I think what the Saudi basically MBS Crown Prince MBS is doing here with this fund. Because here's the thing, this this idea of like, oh, it's a tenuous connection between Liv and Saudi Arabia. No, it's not. It's an absolute monarchy. The connection is strong. The connection between Liv Goff and LGBTQ rights abuse or Liv Goff and the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, perfectly straight line as far as I'm concerned. Give me a break. Yes, like this, yes. they are one in the same. And it is gross. I mean, they are estimating that the investment fund, like they're, wealth because they like really leaned in in COVID and blew it up that they that fund could be worth like three oh, that was right three or six trillion dollars in like a decade I mean it's like doubled it was like 300 billion now it's 600 billion like it's just a it's like wealth you cannot fathom they are throwing it around to gain power and to obscure their country's awful practices yes. and I just I just feel like not to get on my soap box about sports again, but we pretend or we tell ourselves that sports is some higher pursuit, but it is just like everything else. <laughs> it is about money. It's about money. And I mean, I can I can cordon off a part of sports in a way that I can cordon off a part of music and art and movies and TV and say, there is something pure there if you scratch deep enough, depending on what you're talking about. That is about the pursuit of excellence or the pursuit of expression. But dang, I just feel like the money is so polluting. It's just so, so polluting. So I would say, I guess I'm responding to two things you said. First, I definitely agree with you. None of this agreement resolves any of the issue about Saudi Arabia using Golf in the United States, sports and washing Europe to sports wash their money, so to speak, to make whatever you want to. But that, that only means. works because we treat sports like that. And two, I agree with you to a large extent that the truth about sports is that we, as consumers of sports, our nostalgia, 
our respect for athletes, our reverence of athletic ability has been cultivated, and now it's being used against us yep. to accept certain things which are maybe revolting. And I mean, that's not new. Certainly not. OJ Simpson, anybody? You know, like, there's a long history yeah, of Yeah, I this. mean, listen, the, the idea of a student athlete has been yeah. used, uh, was used and, and it continues in some degree to be used to, you know, permit people to put their labor to work for, for not enough pay, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just think it's so gross. And I, I mean, I think it's gross in a way that's like, you just cannot, you cannot put lipstick on this pig. Like, there is, I mean, I guess people will yeah. continue to love, the people who love Pro golf, which, okay, will love it, I guess, and and twist themselves in knots, making sense of it or not. Maybe it won't. Maybe it'll really hurt professional golf. I don't know. It's really hard to say, I think, at this point. It's really hard to say if this thing's even going to go. But for today, it, it made a lot of people mad. It was a big surprise, and here we stand. Uh, whether or not it'll make a go is a good transition into the Republican primary. <laughs> well, it's going to go, but it seems like it's going to go the way it went last time to me. So we have two new entrants into the field. You want to talk about your birthday buddy first, Mike Pence? He's not my birthday buddy. He's your birthday buddy. He's birthday's the day before yours. Your birthday buddies. Mm, that's false. Tomorrow is my birthday. Today, we're recording on the June 7th. Your birthday Eve. My birthday Also known as tomorrow, Mike Pence's June birthday because so he's your birthday buddy. You can send belated birthday gifts to <laughs> me if you feel the need. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, Mike Pence entered the I'm race. So bored. Like, I did think his little motorcycle ride was cute. I didn't see this. Did he motorcycle ride? He motorcycle ridded. Was that how you say it? No. (laughs) (laughs) Motorcycle rode? He rode a motorcycle. It was like some, some, I think it was maybe an Iowa thing, and there's like a motorcycle ride, and most of the candidates just like me at the end, but he actually rode in the thing. Like he actually drove a motorcycle? Yeah. You did not see the pics of him on his motorcycle? He on the back of somebody. It was amazing. Yeah. No. Um. No, he did not ride on the back of somebody else's motorcycle. Listen, if you're running as a former vice some, president, that would be the worst. The way some of these launches of these campaigns have gone. Well. Um, DeSantis. DeSantis. Whatever. you got to say it different every other time. <laughs> he does. You say DeSantis, sure. and then you say DeSantis, um, and then you go back to DeSantis. It would not DeSantis. shock me if he had some kind of, pardon the analogy, Michael Dukakis uh, moment where he was, you know, holding onto the back of some motorcycle rider and hopped off. So that's Don't good. Don't you I mean, talk bad about Dukakis? That man, history has held that man up. I'm just saying. It's not about him. I mean, so Pence entered the race. What? I'm more excited for Chris Christie, who came in in a very different way. Like Mike Pence didn't talk about Trump. Chris Christie was like, "I'm here to take out Trump. I don't know what y'all are doing. I don't know why you want to be president. I barely want to be president. Mainly, I just want to take out Trump." <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he definitely has a, some he, real New Jersey I, honesty. I'm here to be the kid and the emperor's, you know, the emperor's new clothes. He's says, right. This man has no clothes, except he doesn't really have the moral high ground in a lot of. I ways. don't. It's not about moral high ground. It's about authenticity, and he does have that. I guess so, I, but at the same time, I mean, I think people expect that some bon mot or something he says about Trump is going to like just make Trump shrivel like he did to Marco Rubio or like, you know, Elizabeth Warren did to... Um, but there is something about a prosecutor coming along when all his legal troubles continue to mount. That's, but the, that could but be, it's a prosecutor it be a whose own lieutenants, you know, did bad things. That's when he wasn't a prosecutor. That's when he was the governor. Yeah, exactly. But you understand what I mean. It's Don't like, make me defend Chris Christie. The point no. is it could, it could <laughs> work. It could happen. It... Conceivably, I think there's a very small if, chance. Let me, let me say it this way: If anybody could do it, I actually think Chris Christie could. But I think that the 
broader. Because I think he understands Donald Trump. And most importantly, he is not afraid of him. Yeah, but I think the broader and wider the field comes with the Republican Party, the more likely it is that Donald Trump becomes the nominee. And I don't know these these mount. How I just, could it be? How could it be with these mounting prosecutions? Jack Smith's wrapping up his case. Donald Trump got on True Social and he was big mad, all caps mad when he left I the meeting at the that. Justice and Department. We just raise our eyebrows about it, and the people who actually vote in Republican primaries do not care. In the main, I don't know. I still think it's too early. Maybe it's it's promising. I think that it's good. To, I'd rather have Chris Christie in than out. Maybe there, I can say there that. you go. I'll take I think. it. I'll take it. Don't say I think. I was happier before. Okay. <laughs> and lastly, you want to talk about your, I don't know why, favorite news source, CNN. Not, it's not your favorite news source, right? It's, I think, so I think, <laughs> I can't remember where we landed on this when we last talked about it on a more to say, but it definitely is a source of news if I am sort of blindly typing in things into the, into the, into the URL bar in my browser. The first for news is New York Times. The second is probably our local paper for whatever reason. And then the third is CNN.com. You go to our local paper? Well, if I'm like, if I'm like, you know, in the morning, if I'm trying to find out what's going on in the world, that's the second place I go. Yeah. I mean, wow. You don't read the local paper at all, do you? No. Yeah. Former city commissioner never reads a local paper. And then CNN.com has just, it's just sort of an autonomic response, I think. You know, I don't read the local paper. We can get into this in the marriage segment. It's because I know you're checking that stuff. I don't need to. You're doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll, give, I'll give you the highlights. Right, exactly. If something major happens, you'll The highlights me. of the highlights because I only read the headlines most of the time. Okay, so you love CNN. Well, there's a I lot. I love CNN, but it's something that I definitely follow. It's a and, habit. And of course, what we found out today was that Chris Licht, who has been the, who has replaced Jeff Zucker. 13 months. As head of CNN. It's a really long tenure there. Shut down CNN Plus, which was their streaming service that everybody kind of was pinning their hopes on. And shut that down. Zucker left because he didn't disclose a relationship with a, a another employee, an underling. I guess is what you would say. That sounds gross. It does. Even though everybody knew about it, and they may actually bring him back. I think. I think he might come back. Um, but Chris Licht was out following a very scathing, mm. in, uh, which he gave full access to. Right, scathing Atlantic article about him where he came off incredibly gross and Ooh. also came off as not really understanding how to cover Donald Trump. He just Trump. came off as more concerned with his own PR than the success of CNN. I think that's part of it. And I also think the Donald Trump thing, and especially the way that it was. And that actually I think is great because I think what will keep the press in line as far as covering Donald Trump is not, as much as I wish it was, concern for our democracy but fear for their jobs. <laughs> and so if somebody got fired for allowing that to happen, I'd say that's probably the last one. Yeah, I certainly hope nobody gives Donald Trump a town hall where it is 95% as Trumpy as it comes, and they ask him softball questions and don't do any follow-ups and basically allow them to tear down the station on which... But it's like, I get that, and I don't think they should have done it. You cannot follow up. He is slippery, like, not unless you practice to the level of Hillary Clinton. I mean, she did a hell of a job in the debate, pinning him down and not letting him squirm away. But it still didn't matter. She won all three debates. Even though more people voted for her. Just want to take us all the way back and get the PTSD in full effect. Why are you looking at me like that? No, I'm not. Are you, are you done? <laughs> Shy, I, I feel done. like there's a lot of crosstalk. I feel like I'm being crosstalked over a lot. So I just <laughs> wanted to just smash that like button if you agree. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I got to make a point. I just get... It's a lot of feed, I get feedback immediately. So, 
Anything else about CNN? No, it's just, it's interesting, I guess. I think that we'll see, you know, who end up, ends up in that position. I think Trump is hopefully in for a harder time than he got last time. I think. Yeah, I really, for sure. For I sure. I really pray that the mainstream, so to speak, media covers him in a more honest way that is not so much focused on just the outrage of the machine and the things that he does. Okay. I think we tackled the major headlines. Sure. Next up. 20 years of marriage. Yes. We'll talk about Sarah minutes. and Nicholas Holland. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and Jean also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. Nicholas, we have been married for 20 years. Almost, yes. Close enough. July 5th is less than a month away. It is. And we've been together for 23 years. Yeah, almost, yeah. 
I thought the best way for us to talk about this was sort of break it down because one of the most interesting things we read about marriage today was that people don't feel like they know what's coming. They don't feel prepared when they get into marriage. Right. My understanding of what it was, yeah, like what you said, it's that they don't appreciate what it means to be married in terms of the things that you share yeah. in a lot of ways and the things that you're totally or, or jointly, mutually responsible for. And I think that starts probably starts with money, living space. Well, let's back up because what starts with, I think, is sort of your marriage background, which I think is just as important. Mm-hmm. So like, first things first, your parents are? My parents are still married. Still married. They were married in 1969 on the same, same day. Same day. Sarah and I were married July, July 5th. 5th. So this year they will be married 54 years. They married pretty young. Yeah. My mother was 20. My dad was 23 and my mother was 21 or 22, I okay. think. So and similar in age to us, actually, now that I think about it. My parents are divorced. They got divorced when I was three years old. And then my mom married my stepdad. And they, I mean, I grew up inside, basically inside that marriage. But still, I think one of the sort of marriage tenets that you articulated and have articulated over the course of our marriage and that I think your parents set you up very well for, as you say, I learned from my parents that you marry who you marry. You don't expect them to change. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, in, in the main, you marry who you marry. You shouldn't expect them to become a different person, Mm -hmm. especially by 20 years on. They have the background they have, they have the parents they have, they have the experiences they have. There's a certain part of them that is never going to be you're never going to fix, so to speak. If you think there's someone to fix about your partner, then maybe you shouldn't be trying to marry them. <laughs> um, because that's something that, you know, fixing somebody means that you think something's fun. In my opinion, means you think something's fundamentally wrong with them. Now, people can change in For the sure. margins. People can get more tidy. Ah, uh, be he brought it up before I could. More helpful. They can be more responsible with certain things. They can see things in a different way. But... A lot of a person's personality, I think, is set by the time they're in their 20s. And I think you had a much healthier perspective about this from even the very beginning of our marriage. I think you were very good about, like, not seeing everything as the end-all, be-all of importance, that understanding that, like, there was going to be conflict, but you could get through it. You you just, the stakes were always lower inside our fights in the, like, let's say the first couple years of our marriage. It took me a long time to figure out, like, we could fight— and it wasn't the end of the world. I mean, I wrote a blog post like 10 years in our marriage where I said it took me like seven years to figure out that when we fought, it didn't mean that we needed to get divorced. I mean, I remember f- fighting and you would like not care that I was upset about something. And I would be like, he doesn't love me. We should get divorced. Yeah, I, I, I didn't have any concept of that. I mean, I definitely want to say like my parents married 54 years. That doesn't mean I never fought. No, right. I don't recall seeing a ton of knockdown drag outs. I mean, no, no, no knockdowns. There was no physical <laughs> violence in my parents' marriage. There never has been to my knowledge, but definitely there were, you know, occasional screaming matches and there's a few things, you know, there's a few core memories of, you know, things being broken. Um, but, but nothing major, you know, a, a coffee mug where someone got kind of pissed off and just put it down a little hard kind of thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, but like, I think Maybe from seeing that, although I don't know, maybe that's not really necessarily colored that idea, but it just seemed like to me, marriage was not something to be taken lightly. We did it, it took a lot to do, it takes a lot to undo. Mm-hmm. And so, just fighting over, you know, 
whatever it was we were fighting at the time didn't seem like it was the... There was lots of fighting in the first several years. Yeah, I think that we struggle with what a lot of young couples struggle with in the last few years. First of all, we were... Poor. Basically broke, right? So, so when broke. I was, our, we, we got married the, the year after my second year of law, the summer after my second year of law school. So for the first year, you worked at Planned Parenthood for basically... No money. Not minimum wage. You had health insurance. That's true. But not a ton of money. And I was basically making nothing. I was, you know, we... The rule was no DOG until I got a J-O-B. I remember right. that from our first year of marriage. That's, that was true. Uh, we didn't have that rule. <laughs> but yeah, we definitely thought about money. I think we have different conceptions of money. Yours, mine I'm a spender, a, you're a saver. Yeah, I think it's generally. a rule. I think I have a scarcity mindset. I think oh, for I have sure. a saving mindset. I think you have a... Um, life is to be lived. Life's to be lived. And also, I think you grew up with a sense of more of a sense of safety net for some reason. Yeah. Um, you know, my parents had five kids and... Not a lot of family around. Not a lot of family around. We were not denied anything that we wanted to, but I always had a sense of it's expensive to live. Save your money when you can, you know. Well, I was thinking about, I think we definitely thought about money once we made a budget and decided how much each person could... Because we've had joint checking accounts for all 20 years of our marriage. Indeed. When we finally decided, like, this is how much each person gets to spend each month without the other person judging their spending. Mm -hmm. That was... Like a fun money thing. We call it fun money. Definitely. We still have it. We do. What was the fun money for... What was the budget for fun money at first? Do you remember? I want to say it was like 50 bucks a month or something like that. Really? It was really next to nothing. Bless. I think the other thing we fought the most about... It was pre-inflation, though, guys. (laughs) Pre-inflation. It was the the 2000s. We were rolling deep (laughs) with that $50. The other thing I think we fought the most about was sex. Yeah. And I was thinking about this today, and I think I tell a story that I grew up Southern Baptist where virginity was like peak, peak of importance. And I think I told myself that my mom was so good about sex, and she really was, like open, honest, transparent, like lots of good open, honest conversations about sex, that that didn't really affect me. But really when I was thinking about it today and that our first couple years of marriage, that's not really true. You know, like I think I had— I think it did kind of weigh on me. I remember one time where I was like, I don't want to I don't want to fight, think, talk anymore about how often we should have sex. So I don't want to have sex at all. I don't want to think about sex. And in my mind, it was like three to six months when in reality it was probably like 10 to 20 days um, where I was like, I'm out. I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs> I don't remember this. You don't remember all. this? I remember us. I'm not even sure what the issue was now that I think about it. It's been so long ago. But I remember us having very different conceptions of how we're supposed to be initiated, who was responsible for it. I, I think that's kind of that's still. I think that can still come up from time to time. I think you're right. I think it does. But I think like, I think we had different sex drives or maybe just different sex drives at different times. Mm-hmm. And so like, we just like, I think both of us kind of felt that way. Like we just, it felt like a, a burden. burden and like a figure, how to figure out when to do it. And I think it's gotten better over the years. And I agree that it still can come up from time to time. I think it was particularly pronounced then because we were the only partners either of us had ever had. And we were young. And I guess both of us thought that we were kind of failing at it in a yeah. way. That And it felt just That's just probably bad. enormous of pressure inside of marriage in your first two years, generally. Like, you just want to get it right. Everybody spent all this money on the right. wedding. We should be having sex just the right amount of time. We should just have just enough the money. The house should look great. Our social life should be great. We as should be if, dating. The dates should be great. Right. Yeah. As if the, anybody else is keeping track of how frequently we're having sex. Someone it's needs tr- to know. It it's felt, true. It just, it did. It felt a little like pressure packed. 
I felt like once we moved to D.C., also because we had other a lot of other demands on our time outside the marriage. So it took some of the pressure off the marriage. I was in law school. You were at a in a, you know, high pressure legal job in Washington, D.C. And then after I was done with law school, we were double income, no kids. So we had more money. We were in a bigger city. We had more to do. We did spend an enormous amount of time watching television. We watched so much. We watched too much television. I wish I had it back. I wish I had it back. literally anything Anything else else. in my life. (laughs) Anything else. Um, We also, I think. We traveled. We had fun. Yeah, I think we also had more close couple friends. Yes, we did. I think when we lived in North Carolina, we maybe had, I'd say maybe three or four close couple friends. But with you being in school, it was a lot easier to make sort of make friends, I yeah. think, and have a friend group. And with my group at work, too, I yeah. think that was easier. So I think we also had things to – we had more relationships to kind of maybe compare and contrast and get a sense of like, oh, we're doing this okay. Yeah. That's really important. One of the most interesting things we read today about like divorce rates and marriage rates and culturally what's going on is that they think divorce can be a social contagion and that you are more likely to get divorced if you have friends that are getting divorced. Yeah, I mean, I think it takes some, I think no matter how you slice it, even to this day, even in the year of our Lord, 2023, there's still stigma around divorce. And that first divorce in a friend group can lead to a sense of, oh, well, they, they did it. It sucked, but they came out the other end and maybe they're happier for it or whatever. Yeah. that, That can certainly, and I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong. Like, you know, I think there's, you know, maybe there's a sense that it's a social, what was the phrase that we used? Contagion. Contagion, pardon me. Um, but also, if they're, you know, if you're willing to go through divorce, that means there's probably something wrong with your marriage in the first place. But, or you're just not willing to. Well, there was all these interesting statistics that were like people just feel like the other person didn't want to try. That was like the like a lack of commitment was the number one sided reason for divorce. Right, and I think. I think in my head, I thought it was like infidelity or abuse. Yeah. I think it's a not, I mean, maybe it's a, it's kind of a joke, I think. It's become kind of a, a, a trope, but I definitely think there's a sense among, there can be a sense among women towards men that, like, they just don't care. Kind of like what you said, which is, like, they don't really want to try, they don't change, they don't listen to me, and so there's a lack, maybe that's perceived as a lack of commitment. Maybe, I don't know if that's really what they meant, but um, I definitely think there's a lot of reasons for divorce, and I think the reason a lot of people stay married is because they're willing to overlook those issues that some people aren't. Yeah. And to continue to try to Well, what makes me really sad about it is I do think there, I mean, the most common time frame to get divorced is about eight years. Mm -hmm. Seven year itch. Seven year itch. So we were married for five years before we had kids. And I really value that time looking back in DC that we had. Almost six. Together. To hang out, get to know each other, learn how to fight, calibrate our ideas about sex and money and all that kind of stuff. Not that we didn't, we like fixed it all. Right, but before we added the stress of kids. And with all that said, like some people that we know who are still married as long as us had kids like seconds after they got married. Seconds, mere seconds. But if I was to if I was to lay it on a generality, I would say find time, make time in your marriage if you can. Especially if you get married young enough to just well, be just, married as a couple. <laughs> I can't imagine having those fights about sex and money with toddlers in the mix. I, here's what I wonder, though. I wonder if that's a function of a long marriage or just age. Because Maybe. I think there is definitely, I mean, as we talked about, looked at in all these statistics, people are getting married later. 
And typically those later marriages last longer than the marriages that get together early, early. That's right. No, that's you're just, not you're necessarily just true. Okay. It's complicated. It's complicated. But here's what I, but again, I, I think it's an interesting question, which is, is the reason that we stayed together just because we managed to get to a point of maturity where together, where we were willing to accept certain things, work through certain things, whatever it is, mold, shape, however you want to slice I mean, slice that's it. what I think. Or I was th- it because, was it the marriage age or was it just our age? You know what I, mean? I think that I really think that it was a overall benefit to get married so young. Yeah, I mean, listen, I wouldn't. And do the way it way. shakes out is like, well, yeah, if people I are getting do it with married, else. right? If people are getting married because they got you know like pregnant in high school and they feel forced to, well, right. then no, that's a terrible right. reason to get married. But like the higher you move up the educational ladder and like socioeconomic ladder, which are linked to your educational levels, like college graduates have like bananas. Marriage rates. Absolutely. And I think there is, again. And college graduates a, who get married, like college sweethearts that get married, have crazy high. Yeah. And I think there's a rates. function of all of this and all of like what works that is probably very dependent on your socioeconomic status. You know, I think, you know, we're talking about our marriage, but again, our marriage is two people growing up middle class, white, in, you know, Southeastern or Middle America. So our conception of what a marriage was and our ability right. to, to see good marriages and see good positive interactions with people is, is leaps and above leaps and bounds above a lot of other people's. But to get back to our point, which was when should you have kids right away? I think the answer is if you can, well, and if you, you should can get, avoid it. And also no. if you should get married young, because I do like, I would not be sad if our kids got married right out of college. I would be delighted because I think there is something about, as long as I felt like they were getting married for quote unquote, the right reasons, like, you know, I had basically every aunt and uncle that I grew up with. My kid, my parents are both one of four. They like all got divorced within like three years of us getting married. <laughs> Truly, it's true. it was wild. They all had kids though. And they they all, all had kids. They'd yeah. all been married for a while, um, and they all got divorced. But they also a lot of them got divorced once their kids were almost older adults. But it's like when I when you talk about or even my own parents, the reason they got married were just like. You know, bananas got married because I didn't want to see her with somebody else. Well, that's a bad reason to get married. I got married because we thought we were pregnant, but it turns out it wasn't. What? Like, you don't just. Yeah. But again, and again, I think, you know, again, we're talking about heterosexual marriage. Like, right. Is there any, I mean, is there much to be gained here? Is there, is there a general rule we can apply? I would say don't do anything that's going to put a huge strain on your marriage until you feel pretty comfortable in your marriage. Well, and, and I mean, kids are number, a number one. And that is the financial, the finances will be a strain on your marriage if you get married younger. Sure. But I just think there's an aspect of we grew up together and we worked on each other and we grew up like around each other. It's like, you know, a tree growing up around a stake, you know, like it's just was sure. And I do think marriages between people who already have their own lives that are not young. I don't know if it's hard, but it's different. I I can't imagine it. I think they're less likely to share finances. I think they're more likely to, you know. To probably live separate lives. Well, let me just be one hundred percent vulnerable. I just think there's an aspect too of like, now this this is a very fine line because you can see where this becomes dangerous. But there was a level of commitment to me. Not that I ever thought like I want to get divorced or I want to leave, but just there was a sense of like, I wouldn't even know what adulthood would look like without you. Like, there's just a sense of like you stay in it because of habit. That sounds terrible. But let me just say, in a long-term 
we're talking multi-decade, what I hope to have with a, in our marriage, like, Sometimes habits going to carry you through. <laughs> it's not all going to be romance every moment no, no, of decades. Sure. And I think I understand what you mean, which is to say, I think that sometimes young marriages, they stay together because they just don't know what they do otherwise. Yeah. And I think that can be a bad thing. Definitely. Dan- not only bad, dangerous. And I, but I, sometimes I think, like kind of like what you're talking about, like with our fights, like you thought, well, what would I do? Right. Am I really willing to blow it up over this? Right. And maybe that decision was no, right? But again, I agree. I think that's a dangerous kind of conversation, to, to, a dangerous rabbit hole to go down because I think it can be. You can really only say about how it works especially on you. The, you can't say it would work right. For and I think there's a power imbalance, and I think there was a power imbalance in our relationship for sure. For money, a long time. because I was made more money than you did, and at one point, at some points, you made money and I didn't. Right, and when we moved to you know, moved to Paducah, the theory was you were going to get a job, and then we kind of looked around and we thought it doesn't really make hardly make sense, but. So it was a definitely a big shift in our marriage. We moved to Paducah in 2009. I was pregnant with Griffin. So we upended our careers, our location, and became parents all at the same time. All at the same time. So We went big. We put stress on our marriage. All, fun, all of the stresses we put on our marriage. This is a fun story. When Nicholas was like, that's insane. We cannot do all that because he's in Enneagram 6, and he's like envisioning the multiple worst-case scenarios. I wrote on a little index card. I wrote, this is all we have to do. I don't remember what order I wrote them. It, it was, was like, get, sell a house. Sell a house. Sell our house. But remember, we were selling our house in 2009. Eight. Eight. I think well, we finally no, sold we it in 2009, it. but we put it on the market in right. 2008. So we were selling our house in 2008, which was, of course, a terrible time to be selling Recession. a house. Apparently anywhere except Washington, for Washington, D.C. D.C. Yay. Because um, we did not lose our shirts on it. I think we had to bring $1,000 to closing, if I remember correctly, for transfer <laughs> of tax. Would remember that. As a real estate lawyer, I do remember that very clearly. And then we were to buy a house. Yeah. Which we didn't actually do before we moved back. No. We had to buy a we car. with my parents. Because we did not own a car. Yes. We had to pass the bar. Yes. I had to find a job. Yes. Prior to passing the bar. And have a baby. And then we were going to have a baby. And Short, easy list. To easy, this day, breezy. Somewhere in our house, doesn't it? We have this yeah, list have it, have checked framed. off. Mm-hmm. Yes, framed. Easy, breezy. We checked them so all off. so proud of our easy, breezy, beautiful. Checklist. Worked like a charm. So we had kids. And look, I don't I don't Kid. quote Will Smith a lot, but one of the wisest things I ever heard him say on the Oprah show is when you have a child, just tell yourself this is a new marriage. This is a new marriage. I'm entering a new marriage. I think that's true with every child that you bring into a marriage. I think you've told me that before. And I, I'm not sure I never stuck. But I agree to some degree, for sure. I, I mean, mean, everything changed when we had Griffin, I feel like. I don't know if I feel that way. Really? Tell yeah. me more. I don't, I think that our responsibilities came became greater. I think there was a shift in what we were responsible for. But I don't, I don't know. I didn't really feel like it was a different marriage in the sense that like, I didn't feel differently about you. I didn't think that our roles really particularly changed that much. Maybe that's just my perspective. I feel like I was a totally and completely different person. I mean, I went from a, like, you know, married working lady in the big city to a stay-at-home mom in Paducah, Kentucky. Everything about my life was different. So maybe what I mean is everything about me changed. Yeah, I think that's probably more closer to the the truth. Because I think for me, it was still... I'm the primary breadwinner. Mm-hmm. I go to work every day. Now I have more responsibility. If I'm talking about my own personal kind of psychology. And I think that was the, the you being a primary breadwinner, especially when we had two children and you lost your job when Amos was six months old. 
and I had no job. <laughs> I had a teaching job at a college that paid like $8 and some change. But I look back and I think I see the strain that put on you when you were the primary breadwinner. Yeah. Being an Enneagram 6 and a primary breadwinner is not a great combo. I'll take your word for it. Um, no, it's, you know, I think it changed my perspective. The whole situation changed my perspective about a lot of things. I think that was probably more impactful than a lot of the other things that, would, that I experienced moving here. Do you think that it's fair to say that, like, me having Griffin changed me and getting fired changed you? 100%. And it's funny, I think about it now that we're talking about it. Like, the biggest failures in my life have resulted in some of the best things in my life. You Absolutely. Know, like, Boy, that is so trite. Um, (laughs) But like, you know, like thinking back on like, I, this is like the silliest, dumbest thing. But, you know, the first time I took the LSAT, like I had prepared for the LSAT. It was like the end all be all to me. I had to get a good score on it. And I walked in there and just from the second section on, and those of you who are taking the LSAT know these logic games they have on the LSAT, which they're getting rid of apparently next year. I don't know. I blocked it all. It was just this brutal section, and I was always—it was always my weakest section—and I just panicked, and I literally walked out and canceled my score. And then I took it the next time, and I did great on it. I'm sorry, like, you're missing something in between then those. Sarah two. and I got together, and then she, he fell in love with me, right, and so that changed everything. It made my mind clear. absolutely. <laughs> that is what happened. But also with this job thing, it was just kind of a recognition. Both times, a recognition like, okay, you can fail at something, and everything's still the sun's still going to come up, and. You know, people that love you are still going to come to your aid. And people, you know, it, it hopefully if you have that support system, at least in my life, right? So yeah, that, you know, failure is not the end of the So those were some, some transformative years, 2009 to 2012. Yes, indeed. Big years. Total big change years. in the marriage. And then yes. in 2013, that was halfway through. That's the 10-year mark of our marriage. Mm-hmm. It feels like year. the first 10 years were so much longer and bigger than the second 10 years. I think that's just, yeah, that's just how That's just you get older and everything goes. the time. I will say, so I told you, like, every time we fought, I thought, he doesn't love me because when I would cry, you would not say, oh, my God, you're crying. You're sad. What do I need to do to fix it? Still, that's not your reaction. It just really makes me wonder sometimes. Why do my tears not melt your heart? You know, honestly, I can't remember the last time you cried in a fight. It's been a long time. But when I used to, why would I? It doesn't matter. You're like, get over it. We're, We're arguing logic right now. We're having a debate. I don't care if you cry. That was always my... Here's what I would say. This was my biggest beef inside her. You would want to, like, debate, and I would be like, my feelings are hurt. Definitely. But and what I thought that meant was, oh, your feelings are hurt, and that trumps everything we're talking about. Yeah. And sort of logic and reason and math. Of course it does. My feelings are hurt. Do you see the tears? Turn on the waterworks. Do you (laughs) see the tears? My feelings are hurt. But I also think, like, you've... Maybe that's just a sign of what you're talking about, which is, like, when we now when we fight, you understand, like, it's not... The stakes are lower. Right, and or you'll say like you're being ridiculous, and you just walk away from it. Yeah, I got out of the and car and walked like, the rest of the way to you're, hike. You're like being two weeks silly. Ago. You're being crazy, like or whatever it is, and this fight is not worth it. I think both of us to some degree do that, and I think we both also come around to the apology a lot faster. Yeah, a lot faster, and the and the recognition of yes, I'm being silly about whatever. But it is. I will say the like moment when I th- when I realized <laughs> this goes south. I don't mean this the way it sounds. It's not like I was like wondering up until this point. I wasn't. I knew I loved you. I knew when I was in college and we sat in the educational library and talked philosophy. I can't imagine how ridiculous those conversations would sound to me now. But at the time, 
They were mind expanding. We were wise. We were so smart. And I thought, <laughs> I want to, I, I know for one thing that I will always be interested in what this man thinks about things. And that's when I fell in love with you and thought, because I was scared to get married. I didn't expect to leave college engaged. I know lots of girls do, but I did not. What? I did not want to. Explain wanna, that to me, because you had a long-term boyfriend coming into college. I did, but I didn't think. Definitely it, told people you were going to marry. I did, that's true. But that felt different to me. Like, I wasn't there to hook a husband. I thought I was going to marry Devin. And then when I wasn't with Devin anymore, I thought. I'm going to get a degree, and I'm going to go do it. I'm going to go the world. see the world, be sex in the city. I don't know. Screwed that whole plan up, didn't I'm I? Like, you did. <laughs> but I do remember feeling in college like, oh, my God, I've met this guy. This is it. I wasn't. I'm not ready for this. I'm so young. Is this what I want to do? But. I just couldn't imagine life trapped without you. Them. You trapped me. Okay. So anyway, I hope this has been interesting to you people because <laughs> I can't. Maybe so it anyway. Been. So it's not that I didn't love you and not want to be married to you. Obviously, I hope that's true because we definitely had two kids by the point that I'm going to describe what happened next. But between Amos and Felix, we lost a pregnancy pretty far along. I was 20 weeks pregnant. It was very sad, and I remember you saying. This is not happening to you. It is just happening. The beginning of Sarah's understanding of the chaos lottery. <laughs> it's true. That is the that is the origin of the chaos lottery. You just because I think I'd always thought he's so negative and he's so like there's a lot of big differences in our personality. You are very pessimistic. Uh-huh. You've gotten better. Uh-huh. You generally are allergic to enthusiasm. Uh-huh. You've gotten much better about that uh-huh. and sort of like self growth and like personal habits and productivity, all the stuff that I love. That's just like mm-hmm. the woo-woo stuff. I live for it. And that's not your jam. It's not. And it's funny because you say that I said that to you, but even to this day sometimes when it rains too much or it's too You sunny, do. You think it's happening it's to you. Actually, I think it's actually happening. You just do it about the weather. It's so dumb. You don't even do Well, you did a little bit about diabetes. Sometimes you act like diabetes is happening to you. Um, No, I don't think that's right. I think that, I don't Maybe you perceive it that way. I think with diabetes, it's just a hard thing to deal with. So we've dealt with a lot of hard things in these last and 10 years. And it's just very much like a recognition of It's the feeling of just a difficulty. Not that it's happening to me. It didn't happen to me at all. It happened right. to our son. We have to help him through that. And it's just a new thing to deal with. It's difficult. And sometimes it manifests as anger right. at the thing. At the universe. But when you said that to me, in the way I felt... When we first fell in love, the sense of like, oh, there's this person is so much bigger. There will always be something to sort of explore and learn from and let work on me. That's like the other moment I can really point to and say, oh, man, this is this is going to make me a better person over the long run. This person has a lot to offer me. I felt so, that. Well, I hear that's for some you expressed it that way. I feel that way about you, babe. I really do. Oh, I'm glad you do. I feel that way about you, too. And so, I mean, that, and I, that's why I, I think back, I look over these last 10 years in particular and think like losing the baby, definitely like Felix's initial stroke diagnosis, then Felix's diabetes, just like some real traveling a lot, dealing with, oh, I don't know, the Trump presidency. Yeah, that Ooh. was not, yo, that was not that was fun. But also PTSD. dealing with different, you know, you're. Your job has changed a lot. Being a city commissioner was hard on our marriage. That's true, I think. But like, and now, you know, your job has changed a ton. You know, what you do for a living is so different from what you even started out doing, even as, you know, kind of smaller potatoes, you know, social media stuff, or when you were teaching at the college or whatever. You know, you're gone more. I'm more of a 
I'm much more now than ever the, you know, I'll do the single parent thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's changed for sure. But I think we've, you know, I think Beth always says we have our own language and I think that's true, but I think we just kind of, I don't know, but that's that I would say exactly that way. But I think we have a shorthand with each other. We know we can cut to the chase about certain things. Well, that's my favorite thing about being married a long time is they say like, if you put married people in a, experiments and you test them they can remember more because they have and i honestly beth and i do this too like you just understand what the other person is good at so you don't even bother you save space in your brain for the stuff you're good at (laughs) (laughs) right and that can be aggravating for the other spouse right (laughs) how many times and you get mad at me how many times i ask you about what day are we doing when is our vacation what day but then you'll be like what's the password for or (laughs) remind me what this is or whatever it is and so we definitely all we share we definitely store information that we for sure. And so it just, you know, I, th- I think as we've entered this last, not last phase, I hope we have many more phases of our marriage, but what feels like a more stable phase in that a phase that has lasted longer. I mean, we got in some, I think, some of the worst fights recently that we've ever gotten to about diabetes management in the very beginning when we were very tired and stressed mm-hmm. and upset. Mm-hmm. And I still feel like we wrote it out and we handled it really well. Yeah, I, I think this is not anything magical it's some of it's about learning to communicate and communicating more some of it's about being vulnerable and expressing how you're feeling and trying to understand why you're feeling that way and i think both of us have worked on that not just together but individually in therapy and mm-hmm. you know several different phases of our lives of understanding okay like this is happening i'm upset why am i upset and trying to Focus back on yourself and not so much mm-hmm. on what's going on with the other person. I, and it just makes me sad because I think marriage has bad branding right now. I feel like, it's particularly like post-COVID. I think you mean heterosexual marriage has bad branding That's right true. I mean, first of all, right, what didn't we just have in the last year a whole law about defending marriage for in marriage equality and protecting marriage for everybody? That's true. To some degree, I think marriage itself is still very important and more people want to have the protection of marriage. But it's like so funny to me. We have all these conversations about loneliness and I feel like marriage never comes up inside those conversations. We have a loneliness epidemic and nobody says, well, how, how are marriage rates going? <laughs> well, because, you know, you don't have to be married to not be lonely. We have you don't, but there are lots who, of ways to be like, but I just feel I like... I have it, lots of friends who are in long-term committed non-marriage relationships that I would say are effectively, for all reasons except for taxes, marriages. Okay, but this dance we're doing right here inside this conversation is what happens, Right is that you want to articulate what's positive about your marriage or your relationship or what you want. But you don't want to feel like you're judging someone who doesn't have it or, or you know, assaulting other people's choices. Like, there was all this polling, and everybody's like, it's not that important to be married, to be married if you're going to have kids. It's not that important to be married if you're going to be in a long-term committed relationship. Not that important, not that important. And then you go, how important is it to you to get married? And the numbers are, like, super high. So it's like people identify it as something they want. Sure. But they don't want to say it's important globally. And I just think that's hard. We are social beings inside social institutions. So if we say, if we, it's like when we all fill out those forms and say fame is important, but not to me, you know, like, well, yeah, but I think think that's a struggle. Yeah. I just, I guess I understand what you're saying. I think it's fraught because I think when you say marriage is important or marriage is a more stable relationship that comes with all the things we were talking about, which is, yes, it's harder to undo 
And also... It's hard to undo. <laughs> there are greater expectations placed on it. Mm-hmm. And there are toxic marriages that don't end because it's harder to undo. Right. And yada, yada, yada. So, yeah, I mean, yes, it's definitely a fraught conversation. I don't know if it would be better if if more people got married. I think it would be better if more people had marriages like ours. Yeah. Right? For sure. <laughs> but I think, again, that's very... You know, it's But I think contingent. it's just hard because it is a social institution. And we can't all just hold our desires for the institution as individuals. At some point, there are politics and there are there is this sort of community aspect. And I do think we have to find a way to talk about things that are positive without all of us reacting. You know, it, honestly, it reminds me about like any conversation I've ever had about birth. If I say I have a natural birth and then someone says, well, I had to have my C-section. Well, that's fine. I'm not talking about your C-section. You know, like there's just, I wish there was a way to have these conversations. And when we're sitting down to talk about our 20-year marriage, believe me, I think the reason you got divorced, whatever it is, was great and awesome and fine. And I'm not here to judge it. My, I am. Let me tell you this. I'm so damn glad my parents got divorced. Holy shit. I'm glad my mom woke up when I was three years old and was like, I'm not going to wait till this kid's grown. I'm getting the hell out of here. And it wasn't, there wasn't abuse. My parents were just ill-suited to one another. (laughs) Yeah. And they should have gotten divorced, you know, but like. And your mom was a saver. And uh, there's a long list, (laughs) long list of things. They should not have been married. Uh, They shouldn't have gotten married in the first place. Glad they did. But, you know, I just. I wish there was a way to say, like, it's desirable and also not attach all this weight if it doesn't happen for you. Or I don't want to make single people feel bad. I don't want to make divorced people feel bad. And I just with we don't have a lot of ways, I think, inside our society about all kinds of things, not just marriage, to say, this is great. Like, this to really celebrate it without making people who are not inside the institution feel like crap, you know? So I think what you're suggesting is that it's nuanced. Shut up. <laughs> and maybe we should be, bring some nuance, nuance to the conversation. To but yeah, I mean, I don't I, I don't think, and I hope, that marriage itself, and I think what you said is it doesn't. I don't think it has bad branding necessarily, because obviously some pe- people still want to engage in it. I just think it's not. I think you think it should be more promoted and revered maybe or how just how about just like you know supporting parents which is one of the biggest strains on those particular years of marriage yeah absolutely let's just find some policies that like not that we don't have lots of policies that medicare for all daycare for all it's still word uh support marriages but you know i just think that yeah there is i don't want to go back to where people thought if i got had a baby outside marriage i'm going to hell i don't believe in hell so like, that's, I'm not looking to go back to where people felt judged or shitty. I know I keep bringing up this podcast, but I was listening to Jane Fonda on Julia Louis-Dreyfus's podcast, and she had this great moment where she said, Julia Louis-Dreyfus was like, do you have sex? And she's like, no, I don't want to be naked in front of a man anymore. And then she said, but if I'd been married for 50 years and I'd been with this person, which I really wish I could have had that, I would feel differently. And I just love that she said, like, that, she's not, she didn't have that. She does not have it. And she's just saying, it it sounds really lovely, and I'm sorry I missed out on it. But she just said it without judgment, without grief, without regret, which is, like, that's just the beauty of being 84 and not giving a shit anymore. But I wish we had more of that posture, like, I can articulate this, and it's no, there's no judgment. I'm just, there's no judgment. I get you. I get you. You know what I mean? I, I think we all feel the need to condition our feelings and condition our opinions because 
we don't want to make people feel bad or feel like we're judging them just by having set opinions or or saying something is good because that suggests something else is not good or not as good. Right. And that's not necessarily true. I mean, I think universally people would say that most marriages that last 80 years is a good, sweet thing that is great. and people 80 growing, years? That's a real, you got together. big goals for us. It could happen. It could happen, baby. How long were your grand, great-grandparents married? 70? Yeah. I mean, listen, medicine gets better all the time. That's right. Let's do it. <laughs> um, and I just, I, I want to just articulate like that there are hard aspects and that those are to be expected and that those are normal and that sometimes just the commitment and the habit carries you through. And I'm still so happy to be in this marriage with you. And I just feel like I thought we had it licked. <laughs> <laughs> and I just feel like there's was, you know, I was like, especially a lot of readings about women leaving unhappy marriages, heterosexual marriages that just made it sound like all particularly all heterosexual marriages are like imbalanced and the women are exploited inside the relationship. And that's just the reality. And I thought, I don't, that's not how I feel. And it just made me sad to, I guess, I guess I, my Instagram algorithm got like hooked on or what. And I was just well, you're going to have TikTok and it'll tell you all the, it, how I bad just, husbands I got are. It. I this did. husband and that husband. And there and, are some truly, truly crappy husbands, but you are not one of them. And I would yeah. like to thank you right now publicly for that. Well, you're a wonderful wife. I wouldn't trade you for anything. Even though I don't cook. Particularly because you don't. <laughs> no, it's so true. That's the way to have an egalitarian mes- marriage is have a man who cooks. And also grocery shops. And also grocery shops because that is solidly half of it's the household a, labor. It's a big part of the household labor. Truly. It's not quite laundry, but we don't. We all do our own laundry. So. That's right. That's right. Any final thoughts on marriage? Or marriage to me? Or mm, how amazing I am? <laughs> <laughs> You should start if I can see his face. Yeah, this was a video medium. Um, yeah. It's, it, you know, I've loved all 20 years of it. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Let's do it again. Do another 20. Yeah, let's do it. At least. I got big plans. I got big plans for us. We're going to be married a very long time. We're doing Fit Dad Summer because I want you to be around. This is why married men live so much longer because their wives are like. Go to the doctor. Go to the doctor. Exercise. Do some planks. Don't eat that. Don't eat that. Smack it out of your hand. Smack it out of your hand. Make fun of you for months. because she never you smacked it. anything out of my hand. I did make fun of him once Except for occasionally my cell phone just for giggles. <laughs> That's actually true. <laughs> I did one time and still continue to, months later, make fun of you for ordering a full-blown banana split on like a Tuesday afternoon. It was a delicious banana split. It was nostalgic. Like it was your birthday. I needed that Dairy Queen banana split. Or Mike Pence's birthday. <sighs> No, we do not share a birthday. Birthday buddies. <laughs> All right. Up next, we're going to talk about what's on our mind outside politics. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. 
Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze. And its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Nicholas. Yes. What is on your mind outside politics is always the same. And it is this. This everyday, is always on your mind. Everyday carries? Everyday carries are always on your mind. Yeah. So everybody who doesn't know what that phrase means, it basically is just a catch-all for man shit yeah. in a lot of ways. It's <laughs> little the, baby man versus. It covers things like backpacks, pouches, um, primarily it started, I think, with, with kind of a knives. pocket jewelry. We talk about pocket knives, pens, flashlights, flashlights, watches, especially expensive watches, probably was like the very first everyday carry. Kind Some of real patriarchal exception. energy here. It's not like I call it my everyday carry lipstick. A hundred percent. I mean, I think if you read some of the, you know, coverage of it, it's like, how is this different from just a woman carrying, like, the stuff that she needs? Like, Band-Aids. And I don't necessarily think it is. I don't think it is. I think it's just rebranded, and now it's it's masculine, right? Now it's, like, tough, I guess. But I'm willing to let y'all have some things. It's it's also different. I mean, I think, so how... As long as it's not concealed carry, I'm happy to go along. 
Well, that's part of it for mm-hmm. sure. There's definitely Is that where the language came from? No, but it's there's a darker side to everyday carry, I think. And at least the community. There's definitely a very close, closer than I like a lot of times, to a Second Amendment kind of branch of it, and also a connection to law enforcement, first responders, law enforcement in particular, which can be a little uncomfortable. In which there's portion, you know, parts of the community, so to speak, kind of press back on each other. Mm. About. So there's definitely Second Amendment part in particular is is definitely closely related. Well, let's not bury um, the lead. Sorry. Share your important announcement about the Paducah Pansy Politics Weekend that you decided. So Beth's doing recording. her yoga class, which everyone should take part in. In fact, I think I'm going to do yoga for the first time when Beth teaches it. Not the first <laughs> time, but the first time in a long time when Beth teaches it. But anybody who wants five to ten minute. A conversation about everyday carry, whether that be a knife, a ballpoint pen, or a replaceable pen, uh, fountain pens. I'm not big on, but I can give you an idea. <laughs> you pretend. Flashlights, wallets, watches. I do watches, but I don't do anything. You're just going to do everyday big. carry consultations. Consultations. Maybe for, for the husbands who get drug along to the husbands who get drug along, or if we just want to, if y'all just lots want, of husband listeners though. If you want to talk knives, you want to look at knives. I have a, a, that is where this all started for me. He has so many knives was knives and it was funny because I actually probably like five years ago or six years ago I got down to like two knives and I'd given like all of them away and I thought I'm gonna buy the one knife and I bought a Spyderco Delica 4 and an orange I thought this is it I have I have figured it out and like within a year I had 10 other knives you have a problem. And they were all more expensive than the, the knives, knives that I had previously. do so. come in handy occasionally. I was most skeptical of the flashlight because every phone has a flashlight, but I will say the flashlight is probably what I asked to use the most. And this is interesting you say that because I think the knife... Because they're like little baby flashlights like the size of your pinky. The knife that I use, the knives that I use, or my use of knives, I guess is what I should say it, is lesser than my use of the flashlight or the pen. Yeah. Which I came to realize about... A year into the I don't like the like, pens. The pens are all too heavy. But <laughs> for a person who does what I do, right. right? So, like, the theory of a lot of everyday carry is, like, a lot of the guys who carry everyday carry, like, they carry it because, like, they're working in machine shops. They're working in uh, warehouses where they need to cut boxes down. They're working. So, like, that was the theory. Like, a lot of people, that's why they carry an everyday carry knife or an everyday carry box cutter or whatever. Well, in my own life, like, what did I really need every day? A pen. A pen. Esquire. Right? Because I had to sign things. I'm asked to sign. It's like there's not always a pen nearby in an office setting. Yes, but who wants to use crappy things? It's like saying there's always a shirt, Sarah. Why would you buy that nice blouse? (laughs) How dare you, sir? Um, You know, you have one pair of pants. How could you possibly need another? (laughs) It's definitely pocket jewelry. It's definitely, there's definitely an aspect of that. But, you know, and I didn't, I'm into pens, but I didn't get deep into pens. Like, I don't buy a pen. I buy probably buy a knife. I would say judiciously every eight weeks. I've probably since I've started this. So every couple months, um, I've slowed down at periods. I've sped up at periods. It just depends. With pens, I think I bought over the course of three or four years, probably five. You also have prepping tendencies. Right. And that's so definitely You told part. me the other of- day that at any given moment, there are six ways to start a fire in our car. It's true. I don't think six. I think it was four. But why? Well, I mean, I think for one thing, because a lot of things can start a fire. And that was more of a joke than than anything. We were con- we were conversing about pouches and whatnot, and then I just told you like, well, yeah, in our car, there's five ways to start a fire within you know whatever. Because you're an Eagle Scout, 
It that's naturally. 100% part of it was that this be prepared. There's a prepper aspect to it. Um, but, you know, I'm, I am getting to a point where I feel like I'm refining and getting to where I, I don't feel like I'm care. I, I need to buy to re- quote unquote, research and know what I want. Because I think, again, part of this is just cons- pure consumerism. And you get told you need this or this is better or this is better. You know, this is the next thing. That's the next thing. This steel is better. This cut is better. This The way this looks is better. This flashlight has more functions, whatever. I do feel like I'm seeing the forest for the trees as that, as that goes. I'm not just consuming as much. I'm really... I just want to say, I'm pulling some threads together. Okay. And I feel like there's a real gendered component of this that connects with our conversation about sports. And when it's like a thing mostly men are interested, then it's like higher level when really it's really just consumerism. I'm not denying that a lot of it is consumerism. I mean, these knife companies have to sell you something new. And so they have to bring out what's the next thing? What's the next lock mechanism? I think there's so much of prepping that's just consumerism. But you start when you, the more you get into the community, the more you start seeing that. So like, you know, you when you when I you've been in it the period of time I've been paying attention to it, you see like, well, in 2018, this was the number one steal and it was the end all be all and we were never and then we have a new one this year. Oh, right? I see. And so saying. you start seeing again, the forest for the trees. You start seeing They're playing you. Sort of what, that, to some degree they're playing you. And yes, the, you know, certain things are better. But like with flashlights, you know, you said like oh every every phone has a flashlight. That's true. But really, when you use your phone as a flashlight, it's a really crappy flashlight. It is a crappy it, flashlight. I it will, will say do that. in a pinch, but it's not very bright. Mm-hmm. It's not very useful to get into small spaces. You guys, when it's, we are out in the world and he saves someone else with his flashlight, it's like not even pleasant to be around him for like a week. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's not that I'm. <laughs> you are so proud of yourself. I think that. Part of everyday carry for a lot of people, including myself, is a sense that you can help other people too. That's very sweet. And sometimes that means showing them how foolish they are for not carrying a stinking flashlight. <laughs> but also the reason to carry a flashlight is that your eyes get old and you can't actually see things. You That's know what true. I mean? Like you have flashlights that like send out emergency flashes and but like those things are useful. Like imagine if your car broke down on the side of the road and you needed some kind of a flare. You could Do use you know that how many that. times my car has broken down on the side of the road in 41 years? Um you know, first time for everything. It's like zero. I do think where you've come along to accepting that the Enneagram is real and that you are an Enneagram six. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely catastrophizing, worst case scenario, scenario, all that bit. But since having a diabetic child, it's come in handy. The, the, The worst case scenario, the like sort of prepping the gear, like you just were, you were ready to shine. Yeah, definitely. I mean, whether it be the backpack or the this oh, gear this, or like, the research that I to do. Oh, he has this like little mini fridge that carries insulin. It's you would true. not believe it. It's we like, should, they should sponsor us. It's like the size of a thermos, but it's a refrigerator. I would 100% give a huge, huge shout out to For All Family because they are, it's really the greatest. But yeah, I mean, and also like things that I already owned, you know, like we had these little mini thermometers and like, like zipper pull thermometers. Why did you have those? I think at the end of the day, it was just like, oh, it was Thermoworks. And you know I love Thermoworks. You know, they do the instant read thermometers. Thermoworks does not sponsor this podcast, but they could. <laughs> um, and so they put out this new product, again, consumerism. 
And it was just a small thermometer that was like a zipper pull thermometer. Like if you need to know how cold it gets, you know, on a camping trip or if it's how cold it is in your cooler or whatever it is. Or to make sure a, your insulin hasn't it's been a little to teardrop thermometer. And so I bought a couple of them and basically it was just curiosity sake. I hung them in the tent at night when we can't, when the boys camped at a scout trip and we, oh, it got down to 36 degrees last <laughs> night. It got done. And then lo and behold, when you have a child with diabetes, you have to keep insulin cold. It's helpful to know how cold a thing is or how cold a thing can stay because you don't want it to be too cold. Or right. too warm it has to be between thirty six and forty six degrees. Preferentially, you go to hotel refrigerators; they can be very, very cold, especially closer to the freezer little yeah, parts they that like they have. Them. That's true. And or they can be very warm and not function. So they came in handy. So yeah, I mean, it it probably fed my worst instincts, but I mean, I say all the time, I love that you're an Eagle Scout. If the zombies get you first, I'm in so much trouble. I have no capacity to take care you, of myself but you in that have situation. five ways to start a fire toward them i do if i was and i have a half an eagle scout on his way Close, a couple of getting, getting started out. i'm like training up some backups in case I they get between you first, the two but... of them you might have a, i don't know three eighths of an eagle scout <laughs> <laughs> they'll get there they'll get there well i think that about covers everyday carries do you think uh 100 or do you want to just launch off into your own own podcast on everyday carries i listen we I, we talked about it we we even recorded an episode with a friend of mine about a couple did. of things gear. that we thought. Men love gear. Maybe it would make a go, but I think I've missed that. I think now it's all on YouTube and you there's, there's a, it's kind of a saturated market at the well, moment. Well, you get to come on Pansy Politics. You're like the Steve Martin of Pansy Politics. You come on pretty, you might, you might be the most often appearing guest. That's very, I think that's probably true. It's also very kind of Is you. Is that all on to your LinkedIn? On here. I hope this was interesting to any of you. <laughs> God love, you. God love you. Every all. time we record a podcast, he's like, that was boring. Are you sure that wasn't boring? Uh, I, how could you doubt how interesting I am? I can carry us both. That's how interesting <laughs> I am. Oh, well, you know, it's just you guys are, I listen to you guys and your pros, and I get on here and I just feel like I'm gabbing, blabbing. No. And it has nothing to do with politics. You just It's just the history of our marriage, apparently, today. And I love you. I'm so glad you came on the podcast. Again. Thanks. I love you too. You're like my most favorite person. Ditto. In the whole world. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of Pantsuit Politics. Of course, we'll be back in years on Tuesday. We're going to rerun one of our favorite episodes of the year with Jennifer Sr. And then on next Friday's episode, I'm sharing finally my conversation with Richard R. Reeves. Are you excited about that? Yeah. It's all sure. about men. Yeah. You're well, a man. It's about boys and men. Boys and men. And you have been a boy and are a man. I wish it was about boys too, men. <laughs> that would have been amazing. <laughs> all right. So I hope you guys will join us. Thank you so much. We hope you have the best weekend available to you. And until Tuesday, keep it nuanced, y'all. Pantsuit Politics is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. Elise Knapp is our managing director. Maggie Penton is our community engagement manager. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers. Martha Brunitsky. Allie Edwards. Janice Elliott. Sarah Greenup. Julie Haller. Helen Handley. Tiffany Hassler. Emily Holliday. Katie Johnson. Katina Zuganellis-Kasling. Barry Kaufman. Molly Kors. Catherine Vollmer. Lori Ladau. Lily McClure. Linda Daniel. Emily Neasley. Tawny Peterson. Tracy Putoff. Sarah Ralph. Jeremy Sequoia. Katie Steigers. 
Karen True, Annika Uveline, Nick and Elisa Valelli, Amy Whited, Emily Helen Olson, Lee Shea McDonough, Morgan McHugh, Danny Osmond, Jen Ross, Sabrina Drago, Jeff Davis, Melinda Johnston, Michelle Wood, Joshua Allen, Nicole Berkless, Paula Bremer, and Tim Miller. All right. Special episode of Pansy Politics featuring Nicholas Allen. No count off needed. The one and only. <laughs> Why are you laughing at me? I haven't done anything yet. Did y'all catch the audible eye roll in that? Uh, was that? Could you hear the eye roll when I said that? <laughs> okay. Okay. Get it together. You. You get it together. All right. Nicholas and I are going to talk about what are you doing? It's fine. It re- keeps recording. Sorry. Ugh. We start over again. Well, to, I'm not going to say to your eternal credit, because I said that four times in the last episode. And we had to cut them out. Take all this out. Okay, one more time. She loves my eternal credit. She gives me cr- eternal credit. No, I credit. don't. I just love eternal credit. That's I like credit. That's eternal probably why, credit. That's why I use that expression so much. Okay, one more time. But to your... Uh, let me say... How can I want to say this? How about just say, but beneficially... No. But occasionally, it can be very beneficial. 